Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. How are you and your gardens doing this week? It is super hot here again today. We're in the midst of another heat wave, and I can't help but continue to look forward to my fall gardens. Another great fall crop is beets. And you can bet we've got a ton of them planted already with plans for another succession planting this coming week. So this Garden Talk Tuesday, we're going to dig in to how to grow beets. We'll start with the basics. As always, the scientific name for beets is Beta vulgaris. It is in the Amaranthiaceae family. Now, they are also in that subgroup, Chenopoidioideae. <laughs> that we talked about with spinach. Um, come on, say it with me. Chenopodiodiae. Um, that used to be referred to as the Chenopodiaceae family, but now it falls under the amaranths. Um, so beets are closely related to Swiss chard and sugar beets and mangles that are usually used for livestock, but also everything else in that goosefoot subfamily like spinach. Beets are grown for both its roots and its tops. In the U.S. and Canada, we simply refer to the root as a beet. But elsewhere, the root is usually referred to as beetroot, table beet, or dinner beet, and the tops are just referred to as beet greens. In fact, beets were originally domesticated in the ancient Middle East specifically for their greens, not for the roots. They were grown by the ancient Egyptians and the Greeks, but by the time the Romans started messing with them, they were growing them for their roots too. So the ethnobotanical uses, remember ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. Uh, beets, both the root and the greens, have been used in traditional medicine for hundreds of years to treat a variety of maladies such as uh, constipation, gut and joint pain, bad blood, which really could have meant any number of things, um, and even dandruff. It's currently being studied for possible benefits in controlling diabetes and lowering high blood pressure for improved vascular function, um, gut health, and renal health. And this is because beets are really just good for you. They have a, uh, they're a great source of fiber, folate, manganese, potassium, iron, and vitamin C, and they're packed with antioxidants. It's likely the iron content that led people to use beets for these different blood disorders, and it's the nitrates in beets that are helpful in reducing blood pressure. The inorganic nitrates turn to nitric oxide in the body and help to widen the blood vessels. And nitric oxide also increases blood flow to your muscles, so you'll often see athletes drinking beet juice. Now, beets are one of the few vegetables that contain the antioxidant betalane. Now, betalanes reduce inflammation, and they may help to protect against cancer and other diseases. 
and the compound betanine that comes from those antioxidants are what give beets their vibrant red color. Now just be aware that the human body can't break down betanine. So if you eat a lot of beets in a day, don't panic if your urine is pink or even red. It's a condition called beeturia. And even though it's temporary, it can give you some concern if you don't realize what's happening. So culinarily, what do you do with beets? And I actually get asked this question a lot in the spring and the fall when we have beets on our market tables. I think beets are a love them or hate them kind of vegetable. You either love their earthy sweetness or you think they taste like dirt. <laughs> I love them and I love them pickled, especially. I'm also the only one in the house that eats pickled beets, so I get them all to myself. Beets can also be eaten raw, roasted, steamed, or boiled. The greens can be sautéed or eaten raw like any leafy green. There is a traditional Pennsylvania Dutch dish that is pickled beet egg. Um, you take hard-boiled eggs that are refrigerated in the liquid that is left over from pickling beets, and you allow them to marinate until the, uh, the eggs turn a deep pink-red color. And now I'm interested in trying that. I've also read in Australia, they make a hamburger with a slice of pickled beetroot, grilled pineapple, onion, and a fried egg on top of a beef patty to make an Aussie burger. That sounds delicious, and I need to know if that's actually a thing. So if any of my Australian listeners can confirm or deny, that would be great. Jump into the Facebook group or send me a message on Instagram. I would love to hear about the actuality of this burger. So let's talk about the cultivation of beets. How do we grow beets? Um, beets like similar soil conditions to carrots. So nice and light or loamy soil with lots of organic matter. But unlike carrots, they do not do well with a pH below 6.0. And in fact, 6.0 to 7.0 is ideal. So just slightly acidic. They are a cool weather crop. So growing in the shoulder seasons is best and produces the best flesh color. If you get severe weather fluctuations, it will cause like white rings in the roots and they call this zoning. So trying to grow them during the cooler season um, is ideal. Most cultivars need around 60 days to get to maturity and there are bunches of different varieties with varying colors of red, some with stripes, some are more cylindrical than round and there's even golden beets, which for some reason for us have been notori notoriously difficult to grow, but they are very tasty. So we direct sow our beets, and that's how I recommend um, most people do them. You start pretty early when the soil has warmed up to about 45 degrees Fahrenheit or 7 degrees Celsius. Um, you plant about 15 seeds per foot, about a half inch deep, and you put the rows 12 to 18 inches apart. And then once they sprout up, you want to thin to about one plant every two to three inches. You can do succession plantings um, with beets just like you do any other um, spring or fall crop. If you want a continuous supply of the greens or the smaller, more tender beets, then just replant every two to three weeks until it gets too hot. Now, if you're in an area that doesn't get above 75 degrees Fahrenheit during the summer, then you can plant all the way through until the fall. 
Otherwise, for the rest of us, take a break in the early summer and then start again in the late summer and plant all the way up until about two months before your regular heavy frosts are expected in the fall. Now, the more mature plants can actually stand up to a light frost and even heavier frost if you use row covers, um, and they can withstand temperatures to just about freezing. So fall is a great time to plant beets. You can also plant in early fall for a winter harvest if you're in zones like 9 or 10, so my further south growers in the northern hemisphere. Um, beets can be grown in all but the most extreme of climates from USDA hardiness zone 2 all the way through to zone 10. They do like full sun, but they can tolerate part shade. So if it gets hot really quickly in the spring in your climate, or if you need to start planting in the late summer when the temperatures can still be a little extreme, you may have better luck with planting in a bed that provides some afternoon shade. Now, I said to direct sow them in the soil, but you can start beets in trays and transplant them if necessary. It's not ideal, but you can start them about five or six weeks before transplanting them out. Um, and you, if you're doing this in the spring, you want to do that when the heavy frosts become a little bit less frequent. Thin them in their trays and then transplant them at three inches apart in rows 12 to 18 inches apart. Transplanted beets may not be as uniform as ones that you plant directly in the soil, and the tap roots may get tangled up a little bit, but you can get an earlier harvest this way if the weather just isn't cooperating for you early on. I generally just wait since I'm doing succession plantings anyway, but this is doable if you need to, and I think they probably tolerate transplanting more so than any other root crop. Um, beets can send a taproot down as far as three feet. So the looser the soil, the better off you are. That deep taproot or that deep root system does make it a bit easier for the plant to find water in dry circumstances, but even watering provides for better formed beet roots. So plan to water in dry weather or make sure that you're mulching really well. Now, Here's something fun about beets, and I didn't realize this until several years into growing them. Beets have multiple embryos in their seed jackets. So their weird spiky little seeds often will sprout as many as six seedlings. So that's why it's super important to thin beet seedlings once they've gotten a little bit crowded. Um, spacing of about three inches apart is good. I have tried not thinning them and just pulling baby beets first and then leaving the others in the ground longer to make the larger beets, but it just doesn't really seem to work as well. So I recommend thinning them for sure if you want decent sized beets. There is a variety offered by Johnny's Seeds. It's called Moneta, and it's bred to be a monoderm or only one embryo per seed. We've planted it with some success, but the germination rate for us wasn't as high in general, but it is an option if you don't look forward to thinning hundreds of little beet seedlings. Now, when you do thin, don't pull the seedlings. Clip the greens instead so you don't disturb the roots of the seedlings you leave behind, and just add those clippings to your salads. While beets are growing, keep them 
as weed-free as you can. I like to scrape the soil surface on both sides of the row to keep the weeds from sprouting and to keep the soil loose at the top as the beet roots expand. Now, unlike carrots, though, you don't want to cultivate too deeply next to the beet roots because too much disturbance can cause damage to the root system. So just an inch or so is fine. And if you need a fertilizer, a fertilizer with a bit more phosphorus, like a 10-20-10, is best for beets. Now, you can absolutely grow beets in containers. I would recommend spacing the seeds at least three inches apart to start with, which is the final spacing that you want them to be at after you're thinning. It makes it easier to thin them out in a smaller container by just clipping off the excess seedlings in each group when they're about four to six inches tall until you're down to one every three inches. Any container that's at least six inches deep will do. You can also plant them more closely together to grow just the beet tops, the beet greens. Uh, there's even varieties that don't form a root at all, so you could have an entire pot of beet greens to pick from. Um, when planting in containers, use a decent potting mix amended with a little compost. Make sure it's not a potting mix that's got too much nitrogen to start with because you'll get lots of leafy tops and no roots. So check the bag to see what level of fertilizer it contains. And then adding the compost to this will help to keep the potting soil from getting too tight around the roots during really heavy rain events. And that would keep the roots from forming nice and evenly. So the nice loose soil in your containers is best. You can do succession plantings in containers by just planting a new pot every few weeks, and you can extend the season by moving the pots in and out of the shade as needed during hot weather. So don't be afraid to try growing beets in just about any sized container. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So what kind of pests are beets prone to? The ones that we deal with the most are flea beetles, and they leave those tiny little holes all throughout the leaves. But you may also experience leaf miners, leaf hoppers, webworm, beet armyworms, and aphids. Our first line of defense on all of these is row covers. Once I see the beets popping up, down go the row covers, and I only take them off to weed or to harvest. Now, upon occasion, it does get too hot to keep those row covers on when we have temperature spikes in the spring. So if I have to leave the covers off for an extended period of time, I just dust them with first Saturday lime, and then that seems to help keep to most of the insects at bay until I can recover them with the row cover. Now, I'm toying with the idea of using neem oil next season if the pressure gets too bad, because we do have a lot of customers that really like the greens, and of course, they want them looking nice too. Now, if you're not planning to eat the beet greens, you may not even worry about it since once the plants have gotten bigger, um, most of the damage that happens at that stage, in my experience, doesn't seem to affect the growth of the root too much. But if you want those greens, then I recommend keeping them covered or using something to keep the little buggies off. Um, what about beet diseases? 
Any cool, damp weather that's prolonged can certainly spread fungal diseases to your beets, just like any other garden plant. If it gets bad and the weather isn't letting up, fungicides like sulfur or neem oil can help. There's also a disease called Circospora leaf spot, which can really eat up the tops on the young plants. So make sure that you rotate your crops properly each season. Don't plant anything in the same family like chard or spinach before or after your beets to help keep this disease at bay. Mosaic virus is another one that beets are susceptible to, and just like in cucumbers or any of the other 150 crops that can be affected, uh, mosaic virus can't be cured. So once it's in your crop, it's there for the season. Just watch for the signs, which include uh, leaves that are mottled with yellow, white, and uh, light and dark green spots, which appear to be bumpy or blister-like. Uh, the plants are often stunted or they grow really poorly. Um, their leaves may be crinkled or wavy. So if you end up with a mosaic virus, remove all the infected plants and destroy them. Do not put them in the compost pile. Um, burn them or throw them out with the garbage. Make sure you're disinfecting your garden tools after every use. Um, and you can keep a, a bottle of a bleach, a bleach solution by your tools um, to just spray them and wipe them down with after you get done um, using them. If you've had instances of mosaic virus before, you may just want to search for a beet variety that has some resistance bred into it. Now, if your area is susceptible to scab, which is that disorder that usually affects potatoes, it can cause these raised brown rough spots on the mature tubers. Well, then your beets are also susceptible to it too. So in this instance, keeping your beets evenly watered is going to be key. Now, we don't have much of a problem with that here, so I just mulch the beets really well, and they seem to do just fine. But if it is something that you have experienced in your potatoes, it's very likely that you may have that problem with beets. So plan to water regularly. And then one final thing is if you have really alkaline soils and you get a really long, hot, dry period, you may find that your beet roots start to break down on the inside or turn brown. And this is caused by a boron deficiency. So you may want to do a university soil test that looks for more than just the big three nutrients to see if there's cause for concern there. It's not super common, but it does happen specifically in beets. So once you've gotten your beets to mature size, how do we harvest and store our beets? Uh, you can harvest beet greens at any stage, really. You can just pick one or two per plant while leaving the rest to continue growing and providing nourishment for the root growth. Um, the roots you can pick at pretty much any stage too, but we like them around golf ball size or larger. It depends on what you're using them for. Now, if they get super big, they can be a little tough or woody, so keep that in mind. When you're ready to harvest, just loosen the soil beneath the root with a digging fork or with a hand trowel and lift the roots out. You can store them with the tops on for about five days in a plastic bag in the crisper drawer in the refrigerator before they start to go soft. If you want to store them longer, then remove the tops and they'll last for several weeks if your fridge is cool enough. You can also store them through the winter if you pull a late harvest in the fall. 
here's how you store them in the winter. If you have a root cellar, brush off any soil from the roots and then just bury them in layers, but not touching each other, um, surrounded by dry sand or sawdust. This is sort of a traditional way that you use a root cellar. You can also try storing them in a cooler in this manner. Now, if you have an extra refrigerator that gets cold enough, you can cut the tops off and store beets for up to six, six months or so at 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero Celsius and 95% humidity. Otherwise, you can pickle them like I do, <laughs> freeze them, or can them for long-term storage. I hope this quick episode helps to give you the confidence to try growing beets. They're not as fussy as some other vegetables, and they can be successfully grown in most places and most conditions. And even if they aren't perfectly formed, they're still perfectly tasty, assuming you don't think they taste like dirt. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, jump on over to the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group or send me a message on Instagram. You can also leave a message for me or send me an email. And if you have a spare minute, I would be super appreciative if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this podcast. It helps more people find this show and helps to grow our community a little bit. I'll be back here on Friday for another Focal Point Friday episode. So in the meantime, have a great week in the garden and I will talk to you again soon. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. I'd like to thank my patrons over on Patreon for supporting this and every episode of this podcast. Patrons of this show get access to exclusive content on the Patreon page, bonus hotshot episodes, monthly live Q&A sessions with me, Just Grow Something merchandise, and more. But above all, they get my undying gratitude for helping make this podcast possible and helping me reach for bigger goals like stipends for guests, improved software and equipment, bonus content, and more. If you'd like to support the show by becoming a patron and also receive my undying gratitude, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something or use the link in the show notes.